Well, welcome to the third and final part of The Comparison Trap. This is a series where really we just kept looking at the same idea and talking about this big idea that there is no win in comparison. There is no win in comparison when I look to my left and to my right to see if I'm doing all right, to take stock of where I'm at in life. Sure, of course, uh, healthy competition is a great thing. Um, the idea, and we, of course, we're going to look around, we're going to see what others have and compare in that sense. And we might look at the, what they have and say, and be motivated and inspired, like, my gosh, they've worked hard. I'd like to work hard like that too. Obviously, that's not what we're talking against. What we're speaking against is this idea that I look to my left and to my right to check in, like, oh, am, I, am I all right? I'm okay. Am, am I okay? I'm not okay. And then and trying to draw some sort of value judgment from that. Uh, uh, based on, on how I'm doing compared to how you're doing. And that's just not good. It's not healthy. One of the things that we said that was a goal from the beginning for this series is we re- our goal for you is that you like being you. That's one of the things that we feel like as we talk about comparison and talk about how we, we cannot play that game. In the end, we hope that you like being you. And, and here's, the, here's the really why comparison, there's no win. Because when you're comparing yourself to me or somebody else around you, it's really hard to be you. When I compare myself to you, it doesn't make it easier for me to be me, right? So let's not do that. Let's not play that game. I mean, it's kind of absurd really to think about this idea that I would compare myself to you and because I'm richer than you, I think I'm better than you. Or like the, on, on, the, on the flip side that I compare myself to you and I feel bad about myself because I'm not as healthy or as strong as you, as if that has something to do with my value. I mean, let's, let's, let's not play that game. Let's, let's not fall into that trap. So that's what this series has been about. To wrap up today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture out of the book of Matthew this in the New Testament and honestly, I, I'm really excited about this passage because um, it's, it's a familiar passage. If you've grown up in the church, this is a parable from Jesus that Jesus taught to his disciples, his followers, the people who were listening to him that day. Um, and it's, a, it's one you're familiar with, but the way we're going to look at it today in, through the lens of the comparison trap is going to really, um, y- there's going to be a new insight for you, even if you've heard this before, so I'm excited for that. And if you didn't grow up in the church, there's a chance that you might be familiar with this parable as well, because it's something that's pretty, it's a pretty common story that Jesus told. Jesus told uh, parables all the time. That was one of his primary and, and favorite ways to teach people. And a parable is just simply a made-up story. It's a story that Jesus made up. It didn't really happen. Um, It's a story he made up to tell one point. Each parable has one point. Now, it's tricky when you're reading parables. You might want to draw like seven or eight points and like, oh, what does this mean? And get into the nitty-gritty details of the parable. But when we do that, we're in danger of missing the point. And Jesus has one main point for every parable. Um, and, And he taught in parables a lot. One of his favorite beginnings to his parables was this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like, and maybe you remember that, the kingdom of God is like treasure in a field, or it's like a wedding banquet, or it's like a man who went out to sow his seeds. Remember those stories? It's that, and when he says that, when he says the phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it's 
basically Jesus' way of saying, this is how God looks at the world. This is how God views life. This is God's way of like, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And today our, our parable starts with that phrase. In fact, it's actually a parable that's in a bunch of, a string of parables that Jesus told. Jesus would do this from time to time where he would just get up and only talk to people in parables. And then he'd tell a parable and then it'd end and he wouldn't say anything about it. He'd just go right into the next one. <laughs> and people were like, wait, what did that mean about the guy with the seeds? And he's like, nope, we're just going to keep going on that one because that's what Jesus did. And honestly, he was the master teacher because he made people think. He made people think for themselves, which is kind of cool. And that's where we find ourselves today is he's in the string. We're in the middle of a bunch of parables he's told, he's telling. And, and, and anytime you look at a parable, here's what you need to keep in mind. You need to look for three things when we're looking at parables. You have to ask the question, where is God? Because God is in every parable. Like he's, he's a character or an element in every parable. And then the second question is you have to ask, where is us? Where are we? Because we're in each of these parables as the readers it's it, there's something to that parable wants to say to us and then lastly you have to ask what is the point what is the one point that jesus is trying to get at you ready okay matthew 25 verse 14 this is the parable that jesus was telling that we're going to look at today it says this again it will be like a man going on a journey it being the kingdom of heaven he just told another parable about the kingdom of heaven. He's drawing on that again. He's saying, again, it's like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth, entrusted is our word for today, entrusted his wealth to them. So this guy decides, I'm going to go away, and he's wealthy. And so instead of just kind of closing up shop, he's like, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to fire the servants. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring them in. As, I'm going to entrust them with a portion of my wealth. I'm not going to give it to them. It's, it's not a loan. It's, it's, I want you to, I'm, I'm giving this to you for a time, and I want you to treat it the way that I would treat it. I want you to manage that wealth the way that I would manage that wealth. And then he just leaves. He just goes. Verse 15, to one of his servants, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, and this is an interesting phrase, each according to his abilities, and then he went on a journey. So like a boss, or you, you, like if you're the boss or the director or the manager of a department, and you had a, a finite um, amount of resources, and you had to do something or entrust that, those resources, what would you do? He, he, this master does what you would do. You, you pull them in together and say, I trust you. you. You've got a good track record, a good work ethic. So you get this. You get that, and then you, you give accordingly. So this guy pulls in three servants. One of them gets five. He's okay, you get five, you get two, and you, wow, um, you get one. <laughs> and, then, and then he leaves for the journey. Now listen, before we move forward, again, the point of a parable is where is God? Where are you? And, and what's the point of the story? We got to pay attention to those elements, right? For the sake of argument, I would like to propose that all of us are two-baggers today, okay? Like, like and, and here's why. Like, maybe you can build a case for, no, I'm a one-bagger. Oh, no, I really am a five or whatever. It doesn't matter. The, the, uh, two, I think we should put us, ourselves in the two-bagger category because at, when you look around, there's always somebody who has more than you, right? Someone who's better looking, someone who's more talented, whatever, and then there's always somebody who has less. 
So let's just put ourselves in the two-bagger category, okay? Let's go. Verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. At which point in time, the audience, Jesus' audience says, uh-oh, because <laughs> they've heard enough of these parables to know how this story's going to end, and it's not going to end well, and they know who it's not going to end well for. It says this, verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Anytime that Jesus uses the phrase in his parables, a long time, it could mean a lifetime. That's what he, that, it's, it's that type of a long time. Not like, is it like you're coming back next Thursday? No, it's like, it's, it's going to feel like it's a long time. It's going to feel like a lifetime. After a lifetime, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And, and what he means by settled accounts, it means he basically is going to bring the servants in and say, what'd you do with what you had? What did you do? I, I, I've entrusted this to you. What did you do with what you had? Verse 20. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. He said, master, and, and this guy, you know this guy, he couldn't wait. He, you know, like, I got five, you know, is, is the master back yet? Is the master back yet? Oh, okay, well, tell, him, tell me if he comes. Yeah, I'll tell him if he comes. Because he's excited. He's worked hard. He wants to show his master what he's got. Master, he, he said, you entrusted me. You didn't give me. You didn't loan it to me. I remember what you said. You're entrusting this to me, and I acted accordingly with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. At which point in time, when Jesus said few things here, people gasped in the audience. And here's why. We don't know what five bags of gold is worth. Well, we kind of do. But back then, five bags of gold would have been 30, maybe even 40 years worth of salary. Would you take that? Anybody? Anybody want 30 or 40 years of salary to play with? That'd be fun. And, and he's that, so when, when the master says, well done, you've been faithful with few things, they're thinking to themselves, few things? That's a fortune. And, and, and Jesus is like, well, no, 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 parable. Let's keep, keep going. Let's keep going. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you've entrusted me. There's our word again. With two bags of gold, see, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, pause. Catch this. Word for word, the same response. Okay? And uh, we could argue like, well, no, that guy got 10. He came, he, he got five more for the master. This guy only got two. Catch this. The master had the same response for both servants. One got two, one got five. And he said, well done. Okay, hold on to that. Okay, the third guy is about to come in. And at this point in time, if this was a movie, the soundtrack would change. <laughs> it would go from the major key to the minor key. 
you know, like, like it would be, you know, the, the mood in the room changed. And, and, and I like that he's the last guy. I mean, it makes sense he's the last guy, but I also picture like he was the last guy because he's like, where did I put that thing? Like, is <laughs> it under the sycamore tree or the oak tree? You know, like he had to figure that out and go dig it up. Verse 24, then the man who had received one bag of gold came and he said, master, and, and note what word he does not say. Here's a tip. It starts with N and ends with trusted. He, he doesn't, no, he doesn't say that word here. He says, Master, I knew that you, and also pay attention to this. Pay attention to the emphasis, who, who this third guy is trying to put the emphasis on. I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid of you. And I went and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Which is a lot different, right? Than what you entrusted to me. Catch that? See, this guy somehow in the process of this, maybe right in the beginning, maybe halfway through, lost sight of the fact that something had been entrusted to him. He was supposed to do something with what he'd been given, not just sit on it, not do nothing. But look, at, but look what he does throughout this. Basically, he's saying, you are a hard man. You do this. You do that. So I was afraid of you. It's really not my fault. It's really kind of your fault because you're a difficult guy to work for. That's what he's saying, right? He's pointing the finger and saying, it's really your fault that you put this on me. He's, he's like, I don't like that. I resist that. I didn't want to play this game. I didn't ask for you to give me these things. So what I did is I, I, I took it and I buried the stuff and here it is. And I, I want to just say something here. Again, I don't think this guy thought he was going to get into trouble. I didn't think, I think this guy thought what he was saying was very fair. Like I just didn't want to play that game. And so, and so here's your stuff but no thank you. Look at what the master says next. Verse 26, gets a little surly. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, to which he's like, wow, it's right here. I didn't steal it. No, no, you wicked and lazy servant. And the word wicked is probably better translated worthless or useless. Like, which is like, you worthless servant. And, and, and honestly, we got to catch the, 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 the master's mad here. He's indignant. He's angry. But he's not mad because the guy did something bad or, 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 or um, 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 evil. He, he just didn't do anything. And that's why the servant or the master is mad. Check this out. He, the servant says this. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown. You know me. <laughs> and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, since you know me so well, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received at least back some interest. At which point Jesus' audience goes, yeah, that's a good point. This guy is lazy. He didn't do anything. He could have at least taken it to the bank. He didn't do that. He dug a hole and sat on it. So listen to this. So take the bag, this is verse 28, of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever, and this is like kind of like a little mini sermon here that the master preaches here. He says, for whoever has been, who, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. 
And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. At which point we tend to get really Christian and, and like, whoa, whoa, moral and be like, Jesus, that is not fair. Like you, you're taking from, he only has one, you're giving it to the guy who's 10. Like at the very least, like split it between the two guys who did, you know, right. And like that's not fair at all. And, and Jesus would be like, dude, hold on, stop, stop, stop. Parable, I'm making all of this up. And, and the fairness is not the point. I'm not trying to make a point about fairness. This, the point of this parable is about opportunity. It's about responsibility. Don't miss that. Plus, everybody knows. I mean, you and I know. Like, how would you handle it? You would give that one, if you got a, a freed up talent, a bag of gold in your company or whatever, you give it to the one who's trustworthy. So, so yeah, so Jesus says that's what this guy does. This is, it kind of gets dark here. Verse 30, the master continues and says, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I used to read this as a, as a kid and be like, oh my goodness, he threw him into hell. Jesus, is that really what happened? Like like, uh, and so obviously the moral of the story is you need to manage your finances well, otherwise you're going to hell. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for today. I pray that we manage our finances. No, 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 no. That's not the point. Again, again. The point of this parable is not about money. It's not about heaven and hell. Honestly, Jesus is not afraid to talk about heaven and hell. He actually, the very next parable, in 30 seconds, he's about to tell a parable that's all about heaven and hell. Read it sometime when you get home. That honestly, this parable, the idea of weeping and gnashing of teeth, to me, I, I think, I was, I was thinking about this week, weeping and gnashing teeth, that's not hell. That's frustration. That, you think about when we, and I love, I love reading old stuff because the words they use, gnashing of teeth, like we don't use that. But what, think of the times when we go, ah, oh, man, I missed it. Oh, I should have bought Google when it was blank. <laughs> I should have taken that job. I should have called her back. I should have asked him out, you know, that's weeping and gnashing of teeth is this feeling of regret. I missed the boat. The ship has sailed and I'm not on it. So throw that lazy servant outside where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth because he's going to come to the realization that he did not take a great opportunity that he had. That's what I think Jesus is trying to get at. This is a man who's soon going to feel the weight of regret. And he's going to go, I should have. I wish I had. He, he says, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus just moves on. <laughs> he does what only, only Jesus can do. He ends the parable, weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then he says, and the kingdom of heaven is kind of like this as well, and he tells the next parable. And all the people are like, what? Like, like what just happened? You gotta answer something for me. He's like, no, I'm just gonna keep going. And again, I think Jesus was a brilliant teacher. Because think about the teachers that you had that you love. The best teachers in the world are not the ones that tell you the right answers, right? They're the ones that teach you how to think. And guess what all of his audience did that afternoon after they heard him speak that morning and heard that parable? They're, wa- they're walking home and they're like, what, did, what do you think Jesus meant when he said, you know, that one with the servants, what is that about? 
What's weeping and gnashing of teeth? And what, what does it mean to bury you know, your treasure in the ground? And you're like, what is that? And all of while, as they're chewing, as they're talking, as they're wrestling and debating, they're learning. This is one of the, this is kind of a side note, but this is one of the reasons why we love this thing called life groups at Colorado Life Church. Because we've said from the beginning that circles are better than rows. Right now, you're in rows. And I, I like rows. This is fun. But circles are better for learning. Circles are better for if you read something in the Bible and you don't know what it means, you can ask, if, you know, like the, the, our life group's meeting homes once a week. And that's the type of environment where you get to talk and chew. And, and honestly, if we had time today, if it was the right place and time, I would break you up into small groups and have you talk about what do you think is the main point of this parable? What's the, what's the moral of this story? And I think, honestly, what would happen is if, if within not too long, because you're smart people, we, you would basically come to the bottom line that this is what this parable is about. What you have is less important than what you do with what you have. What you have is less important. What you start with in the beginning is less important than what you do with what you had in the beginning. Does that make sense? What you, what you do with what you have is more important than what you'd had with, that you had to begin with. And I, honestly, like I, I was thinking about this parable this week and I was like, this is not a very religious parable at all. Because we all kind of know this. We all kind of like those stories where it's like, man, those people, they didn't start with much, but what they did with what they had was amazing. And, and what Jesus is saying here is like the guys who, who they, they took what they had and some had two, some had five, and, and they did something with it. And that's remarkable. Honestly, it's, it's kind of, it's not a very religious or spiritual parable, except that it begins with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like this. So we know this intuitively on earth. We, we celebrate the stories of humble beginnings, right? And what Jesus is saying is, listen, 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 listen. God likes those stories too. That in his kingdom, his way of life, it's really what's most important is what you do with what you have, not what you had to begin with. Isn't that interesting? God, Jesus is trying to help us to see how God looks at the world, how God looks at you, and says, do the best with what you have. It's kind of like this. We're going to do this for a second. and we'll move this over here. I've got a couple things to move. Let's pretend for a second this is your life. For the moment, this, these bookshelves are your life. And you've got a little bit of time. That's what this clock is for. And you've got ideas and dreams for the future. That's you know, like you know, the vision for the future that binoculars is for. You've got a network. You've got some people that you have influence over. You've got uh, family. You've got friends. That's little Bob Ross guy. That's me. I'm your friend. I'm in your network. That's cool. Um, I like being your friend. Um, you got a little education, some more, you know, maybe more than others, less than others, but you have some. You've got sweet skills. You got things that you're good at, you know, snowboarding skills or scrapbooking skills or nunchuck skills, you know, whatever those <laughs> skills might be. Um, you got things that are good. You got expertise and career. You've got, and if you don't have a career right now, someday you will. You'll figure that out. You've got experience. You got health. We'll just leave that one there. Um, <laughs> not talking about that too much. And then you have this. This is your Xbox. And I'm not talking about the gaming system. This is, this, is, this is, okay, this represents what makes you 
you. That X factor that makes you, you. And you know what's cool about this, I was thinking about it, is even just the combination of all these things, your education, your, your interests, that kind of stuff, those in by themselves make you very unique. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about that thing that's written in your soul that makes you Dana, that makes you Trevor, that makes you George, that makes you Tori. That X factor, that unique thing that there's nobody else like you. And so it's really important that you be you. And, and here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Everything on your shelf, this has been entrusted to you. This, this isn't yours. This was given to you by the ma- This is what this parable says. It's like you've got a little bit of time a little bit of resources, you got a little bit of talent, and what are you going to do with it for the master? This has been entrusted to you. And you can look at it and say, yeah, but I don't have that many skills. Da, 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 da. Well, if I had that education or if I, had the, if I could get that promotion, then I would be able to. Da, 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 da. What you do with what you have is more important than what you have to begin with, Right? What's on the shelf doesn't matter as much as what you do with what's on the shelf. You can complain about it. You can compare as much as you want. But in the end, what this parable is saying is it doesn't really matter because what matters is what you do with what's on your shelf. And see, here's the thing. We all love the underdog stories. We sit there and complain about how little we have and then go and celebrate the stories of people who started with little and did big things, right? We love hearing about the couple who, you know, like they're successful now and we, they're looking at them now and they're like, you should have seen it 30 years ago when we first got married. We were dumpster diving. We didn't have two nickels to rub together. We were adding water to milk so we had cereal at the end of the month. And, and then you're like, wow, tell me more. That is so cool because we love those stories, Right? We love, and, and here's, here's what those people, you know about those stories. Those stories, the, you know, when you read about them, when you hear about them, you don't hear them saying, you know what, every day we just woke up and we looked at all the things we didn't have. We looked at what everybody else had and how unfair that was, and we just dwelled on that. We just thought about it for a while, and then, no, that's not how the story goes. How's the story go? We didn't have much, it's true, and we knew that. We decided we're just going to make the most of it anyway. You love those stories. I love those stories. We love those stories. In fact, at CLC, we think we kind of is one of those stories. <laughs> like some of you remember, how many of you were in the castle, <laughs> in the basement? Yeah, we, the first place, this place is amazing. I mean, about, maybe above a pizza joint, but like, like it was a step up in the world because we were down in the dungeon before, and like there was glue on the floors we could not get off. And we're like, we would, hey, welcome to Colorado Life Church. Don't inhale too deeply. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, it's just like, that's just, you know, humble beginnings. There was one, one Sunday that we laugh about all the time um, that Jake the drummer had to play guitar. Yeah, for real. Like that happened, and it wasn't good. Like, but we laugh about that, and, and we, we kind of celebrate that. Um, you know, there's, there's, I mean, there's times in the past where we've warned the, the music team, hey, just so you know, when you start at 10 a.m., there might be more people on stage than in the seats. 
they'll come probably, you know, like we just didn't, and, and we kind of, we, we actually like those things. We, we, we say a lot, like we feel like we're in the good old days right now where we're enjoying being together as a small church and, and enjoying each other. And that's cool. But can I just be really honest with you? There are days, there's probably once a week where I, I get cold sweats. And I wake up in the morning and I'm just, it's hard to get out of bed. I'm, I'm frozen. And I start to think to myself, Josh, what are you doing? You don't know how to do this. You don't, you don't know how to lead an organization. You've never grown an organization. Like, like in that whole speaking in front of people thing, that's struggle bus for you, Josh. And I, I, I sit there and, and dwell on that, and, and, and it's, it's difficult. And if I'm not careful, those insecurities, they crush me in those moments. And there's a really interesting thing that I've, I've rec- come to recognize is those insecure moments— Guess what I am doing during those insecure moments? I'm comparing. I'm doing this. I'm looking to my left and to my right to see if CLC is doing all right, which is not a good idea because I don't know if you've noticed this, but three miles that way is a really big church. And three miles that way is an even bigger church. And they're really good churches. You should go check them out. Actually, don't do that. The, 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 but it, I, and I think to myself, and here's what happens in that moment. It, when I start comparing, it's to, I start, it leads me to believe that I, it leads me to believe this. I am not the type of person who does significant things. You know, like, like I see that over there and that's cool. And, but that is reserved for a certain type of person. And I'm just not that person. And there's days where I feel like that, that that sort of impact is reserved for people, and this is ironic, with more talent than me. The five baggers. <laughs> and see, when that happens, it threatens, it, it, it has the, the potential to threaten, and, uh, threaten the involvement, uh, my involvement in the most significant thing that I've ever been a part of, Colorado Life Church. Because here's the thing. You know what's between those two ginormous churches? 10,000 plus people who don't go to those churches. And three years ago, a group of us got together and we said, talented or not, we're going to do something about that. And on my good days, I can remember that and be motivated and, and, and do, but there's, but there are days where for the life of me, I just can't keep that in mind. That's my fight. What's yours? What's yours? What's your fight? Where do you feel drawn to compare and when you do, you're paralyzed? When do you feel like you know, like you compare and you're like, that's great for them. I guess I'm just not the type of person that does significant things. And he, the problem is, is, as soon as you start to say that a lot, you begin to fulfill that prophecy, right? The more we think that, the less significant things we end up doing. And I think that's what killed our one bagger friend. I really do. Like, it doesn't say in the text, and you're not supposed to look too far into parables, but there's a chance that he looked at his, he's like, well, if I had two, 
If I had five for crying out loud, I'd maybe do something. But since I'm only one, I guess I'll just sit on it. See, when you and I feel like we only have one talent, I'm not the type of person who does significant things. Bad things happen. And and here's the real problem with it. This parable helps us to see we don't define what significance is. God does, right? We don't define it. God does. He's the one that hands out the good and faithful award. (laughs) He's the one that says, because again, well done, good and faithful servant. You took two and made four. You took five and made 10. Guess what? If one, if the guy had made one, made two, he would have gotten well done, good and faithful servant, which means two things for you. Number one, the voice inside your head that says, I guess I'm not the type of person who does significant things is a lie. Straight up, it's a lie. Because you don't get to make that call. We don't get to make that call. And we don't discover whether that's true or not based on what we see around us. That's just not how it works. And second, the second thing that this helps us to see is that we are not off the hook, right? Because you've been entrusted. Admit it or not, like it or not, complain about it or not, compare. You have been entrusted with these things for a certain amount of time. And that means that someday you will have to give an account for what's been given to you. And, and see, I know, I was, I was thinking, like, is this too harsh of a way to say that? Like, is that putting pressure on people unnecessary? And it's like, no, 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 you need to see this. You've been entrusted. You have the ability to do something with what's been given to you, which means God is entrusted to you. He, he, sees, he sees something in you and believes that you can do something great with it. And, and I love this, what these parables tell us and help us to see is that God is dying to see what you will do with what you have. That's why he left. That's why we can't see him right now is there's part of it and he's like, no, I, I'm gonna let my children, I'm gonna let them play this out. I've given them these things. I'm dying to see what they do with them. It means that God believes that you have what it takes to do something amazing. Could it be that through your weakness, through the things like, like look, thinking back on what you wish you had, God is actually in, in this handing you, handing you your humble beginnings story. Whew. It's cool to think about. See, what if we live this way? What if we reminded ourselves of this all the time? That it's, it's not what I have, or what I have is less important than what I do with what I have. What, what, would it, what would it teach our kids? You know, like we watch our kids flounder and like f- trying to find themselves and figure out their identity and like what if they saw us just making the most of what we have? Like, like imagine, imagine and, like, and here's the thing, this is so fun. Jake the drummer and I were talking this week and some of you guys know his story and, he's, and there's, there's times and, and he, he doesn't mind me sharing this, but like, he's like, why, like I, I'm not supposed to be here. Like, I, I shouldn't be working for a church with my story. 
And he's like, we were talking about this week, he's like, what's cool is even my story, my, the, the, my regrets have become part of my talents in Christ. So if you feel like it's too late or you're too old or you're too fill in the blank, it's not. Dig up the talent. Do something with it. Don't believe the lie. I, you know, I'm just not the type of person who does significant things. You're like, yeah, I'm good at this. I'm good at my job. But like the idea, like, and I see these people that need help over here, but like that, I can't do that. B.S. You have what it takes to do something amazing. What if we got this? Mm. Bottom line for this series. There's no win in comparison. And on week two, we talked about taking our cue from the one who made you, the one who loves you, and the one who redeems you. Not taking your cue from the people around you. And then bottom line today, what you have is less important than what you do with what you have. God has entrusted you. You have what it takes to do something amazing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this space, this time that we get every week to be together. I thank you for these people. Um, Lord, I, I pray, my prayer for us today is simple. I pray that you would give us wisdom to know what, what games we're playing, what we, what we believe about ourselves that isn't true. Would you give us wisdom to see that? And then, Lord, would you give us the courage to live out of what you see? When we get that answer, would you give us the courage to do the best with what you've given us, with what's on our bookshelf? And we'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the praise. Lord, as the song we're about to sing, it's, it's, it's our, your breath in our lungs, and so we pour out our praise to you. You've given us even the, the very breath in our lungs. We recognize that today, and we sing to you with loud voices. Would you be with us this week? We love you a lot. Amen.